0: And I hate when I do that. I actually did that with something else, completely unrelated this weekend. Something that I wanted to go to that I wound up not going to. Just because. And then, of course, regret it right after. Sometimes you just got to do the thing, man. Go to the thing, watch the thing, listen to the thing. Take advantage of those moments and opportunities when they arise. What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. Happy Thanksgiving to one and all for my listeners here in the US. I hope that your bellies are satisfied, your hearts are full, and your thoughts are on thankfulness and gratitude. This is episode 221 of the Spun Today podcast, and in this episode... I speak about watching the eight episode Amazon series, The Terminal List, which was adapted from the novel series by the same name, written by Jack Carr. I also speak about Ari Shafir's latest comedy special, Jew. How apropos is that title given the recent storm of attention that Kanye has gotten for his thoughts about Ari's people. I also recap watching UFC 281, and decide to throw my two cents in in relation to some recent podcast beef. Stick around for all that good stuff. But first, I want to share a quick way that you can help support this show. If you so choose Black Friday is right around the corner, Cyber Monday as well. I'm going to tell you guys about my Amazon link that will be chock full of discounts and goodies that you can use to do your shopping. And it's a great way for you to help support the show just by using my link. Then we'll jump right into the episode. If you want to help support the SponsorA podcast financially, you can do so by going to sponsorA.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, sponsorA.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you wanna send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. The Terminalist is an eight episode Amazon series that dropped this year in 2022 and has a very interesting background that I'm gonna share with you guys. But first, here is the official synopsis. A former Navy SEAL officer investigates why his entire platoon was ambushed during a high-stakes covert mission. And as I always do here on the Spun Today podcast, I want to give a shout out to each and every one of the writers. Because without them, series like these would not be possible. They are the absolute foundation of it all, in my opinion. Starting first and foremost with Jack Carr. The writer of the novel series, The Terminalist, that was adapted into the show and that I'm going to tell you guys a bit more about in a bit, followed by David DiGiolio, Tolu Awusika, Olumide Odebunmi, Hena Sikander, Max Adams, Lisa Long, John Lopez, Brooke Roberts, and Daniel Shatuck. Shout out once again to each and every one of those writers. Also honorable mention to one of the directors of the series, Antoine Fuqua, who directed the Shooter, directed Training Day, etc, etc. So I want to start off with Jack Carr. Here is a bit of his background that I pulled from Goodreads. Jack Carr is a former Navy SEAL who led special operations teams as a team leader, platoon commander, troop commander, and task unit commander. Over his 20 years in naval special warfare, he transitioned from an enlisted SEAL sniper specializing in communications and intelligence to a junior officer leading assault and sniper teams in Iraq and Afghanistan, to a platoon commander practicing counterinsurgency in the southern Philippines, to commanding a special operations task unit in the most Iranian-influenced section of southern Iraq, throughout the tumultuous drawdown of US forces. Jack retired from active duty in 2016. He lives with his wife and three children in Park City, Utah. He is the author of the Terminalist book series, which by the way, the sixth book in the series, the James Reese series as it's known, is coming out in the spring of 2023. Definitely look out for that. I personally have not read any of the books yet, But they are very popular, very well received, and I've heard other Navy SEALs describe the books as 98% real slash accurate and 2% fiction. I want to though. I want to read definitely at least the first book in the series, especially from the perspective of someone who wants to one day accomplish what Jack Carr did in terms of having one of his stories adapted to the screen. And just generally, it's always interesting, I think, at least for me to see and note the differences between a book or a story and the visual adaptation and representation of that story. And Jack Carr is definitely one of the types of writers that pays uber attention to detail that I really, really appreciate and attempt to emulate in my own writing. That feel of authenticity is so important, even And I think especially when playing and writing within the fiction realm, I feel like it matters most then. Like when you least expect it or don't even expect it to be there, having that realism there grounds what you're doing and also helps sell the fiction even more because you establish that foundational level of trust with your reader. But yeah, I first heard Jack Carr on Rogan and he's been there at least a couple times, I want to say. And his passion for his writing is infectious. Like that alone makes me want to check out his stuff, like someone that really cares about what they're doing. I definitely appreciate that. And he told this really cool story on the podcast about how his protagonist was cast for this TV version story of his books. Spoiler alert, it's Chris Pratt. And as always, I'll link to that video clip in the episode notes if you guys want to check it out. I love stories like this and wanted to share with you guys. So he started writing the first book in the series back in 2014. And according to him, he always envisioned Chris Pratt as the protagonist while he was writing the book. And now this is Chris Pratt before Avengers and Jurassic Park, you know, before mega superstar Chris Pratt. At this point, he said that Chris Pratt had done like Parks and Rec but that he had like a very small two-line role in a movie called Zero Dark Thirty where he played a Navy SEAL and for some reason that just stayed with him and he always envisioned Chris Pratt as the protagonist that he was writing. So now he has the first book written, it hasn't come out yet, and a friend of his from the SEAL teams calls him out of the blue. He hadn't spoken to this guy in like five years and he called him to thank him because when he was transitioning out of the SEAL teams, Jack Carr helped him in terms of like what to expect and, you know, put him in touch with some like private sector people that he can work with. and gave him advice, et cetera. And he wanted to tell him that things are going well for him and that he really appreciates it. And just wanted to let him know. And then he was like, oh, and I heard uh, you wrote a book. And Jack Carr was like, yeah, you know, I actually just wrapped it up. It's not out yet, but I could definitely send you a pre-release copy. And his friend was like, yeah, that that'll be great. Um, But I also want to give it to a friend of mine. If you don't mind, then Jack Hart was like, yeah, sure. Who's your, who's your friend? And he was like, Chris Pratt. How sick is that? <laughs> and then his, his boy actually comes through, gives it to his friend, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt reads it, loves it. And before the book even comes out, he options it to have the rights for either the movie or TV series. And obviously it ultimately became a TV series, which Chris Pratt is the protagonist and a star of exactly as Jack Carr envisioned it as he, he was writing his first book in 2014. Now that in and of itself is a dream come true but the cherry on top is that Chris Pratt wanted Jack Carr to still be involved with the series and like the making of the series which is not always the case it's actually not usually it's not the case because when a book or a story gets optioned it's like they're they're paying for like the licensing of it like the right to use your story and that's it it's like a transactional thing here's x amount of dollars that you agree to give us the rights to do whatever the fuck we want with your story and put it on screen you're no longer involved peace we'll let you know when it comes out and that's why there's always like a lot of uh, stories that you hear and friction between like a writer of a book that is like oh they butchered the the movie or i uh, hated the way the movie came out and i always use someone to wonder, like didn't you write the fucking movie? Like, I mean, didn't you write the the story? So how could the movie not be good? You know what I mean? Like, it's your thing. But it's because of that, because the writer is Heisman out of the way (laughs) once they option the rights, because, you know, it's a different medium. It's a different beast. It's a different animal. You know, whether it's a TV show or a movie from a book. And they have to take creative license to keep it true to the source material as much as possible, but also with the main goal of making a successful movie or tv show and you know take creative license with whatever they need to to change things here and there or speed things up here and there which is going to change from format to format whether it's a half hour show an hour long show an eight episode series a 10 episode series a 12 episode series a multi-season show a movie a three hour movie a two hour movie or one hour movie you know etc cetera, etc cetera. But Chris Pratt again wanted Jack Carr involved in the process, so he was involved in writing the pilot episode, and I think involved at least to some extent with all eight of the episodes thereafter, which Jack Carr just described as like a an amazing experience that he was appreciative appreciative of because he got to you know be involved in that world and also start learning about script writing, which is a different beast, and you know what it takes just to make and create a show, he gets to see that firsthand. That's invaluable. That's amazing. Now, circling back to the show, which which had like really good actors in it, by the way. Aside from Chris Pratt, you have Constance Wu, which was amazing in the series. And I love the way she acts. She was in uh, the Hustler movie with J-Lo. She was in Fresh Off the Boat. She played the mom, two completely different roles. She was in that Amazon series, Solos, which I kind of liken to like Black Mirror-ish, but not really. Sort of kind of within the same vein. Great, great actress. Taylor Kitsch, who played Ben Edwards, was great in it. J.D. Pardo, who played Tony Layune, which was like the main cop that was after James Reese, which is, again, Chris Pratt's character. Oh, you know, who's in it? Uh, Christina Vidal. She played Mac Wilson. She was the girl in that Michael J. Fox movie called Life with Mikey. Where Michael J. Fox was a kid actor. And then grew up to be like a washed up kid actor. That's like what they mainly knew him for. And he and his brother had a talent agency for other kid actors. And she played the Spanish girl that had the star cookie commercial. Anyway, dope movie from back in the day. Life of Mikey, check it out. Um, she's in it. And it was a really cool series. It was dark, very dark in terms of some of the things that went on. Some of which I'm going to spoil for you guys. So if you haven't seen the series now would be the time to check out, but it's definitely really suspenseful and thrilling. You're definitely going to get a lot of tactical military stuff, gunfights, a satisfying revenge story. The series starts off with James Reese, which is again, Chris Pratt's character and his platoon on a covert mission somewhere overseas in the Middle East. And They get ambushed. His entire platoon gets wiped out. He's almost killed and gets rescued by, I want to say, army rangers, but I'm not sure if that's accurate. And then after the fact, you know, he returns home. He has a wife. He has a young daughter. He's dealing with all the stresses and logistics of just the funerals of his men, trying to figure out what went wrong. He's getting these really bad headaches that initially he believes is just from the grenade blast and shit that he recovered from. But then we later come to find that some of the higher-ups within the Navy okayed this experimental drug for ja- James Reese and his team to take that were supposed to help them deal with PTSD because they go on you know these types of missions all the time and it was an experimental drug that they thought would help Jack Hart, to his credit, explained in detail the mechanism by which the drug suppressed the neocortex response to the hippocampus or this, that, and the other that was responsible for PTSD-like memories or something like that. But what it resulted in was his entire team, his entire platoon, growing tumors in their heads. And this ambushed mission that they were on was planned to kill them, to kill, you know, any evidence of this experimental drug that some of the higher-ups within the Navy okayed to be used on unwitting American soldiers. So the series entails James Reese's character uncovering this and turning over stone after stone and piecing things together little by little and finding out just how deep the rabbit hole goes, who's involved, how far up the chain of command does this go and then methodically using, of course, all of his experience and expertise in being such a decorated sniper and Navy SEAL, getting revenge on what was done to his men. Now, where I first realized that this wasn't going to be just a cookie cutter, PG-13, you know, very black and white kind of, there's good guys, there's bad guys, the good guy gets all the bad guys and everybody loves the good guy at the end. It wasn't gonna be that type of story. And where it took an immediately dark turn was when the powers that be, that, you know, greenlit this ambush, find out that James Reese is still alive and they try to have him killed. Because there was actually, I think, one other person that survived the ambush. And that person supposedly, quote unquote, committed suicide. And James Reese was like, this guy would have never fucking committed suicide. And he did it with his, like, SEAL Team service pistol, which was like, uh, they made it seem like that was like a major no you know seal team member would ever do that with their personal service pistol or something like that it'd be like this huge taboo thing even if they did do that uh kill themselves and he felt something was off with that and then they come after him then he definitely realizes something's off and you know he's at the doctor getting like an mri for these like headaches and shit and somebody kills the doctor and he's ambushed by these two guys that he winds up killing one of them and then wounding the other, but the other gets away. And then he rushes home after that to find his wife and daughter killed. That's when I knew I was like, oh shit. And that all happened in episode one, by the way, episode one, maybe episode two, but I think episode one, I was like, oh fuck. So they pretty much set up the story where you have this guy whose entire platoon gets wiped out under Very sketchy circumstances. Somebody's trying to cover something up and comes after him, kills his wife and kid. And he has a brain, a terminal brain tumor growing in his head. So he has zero to lose. And oh, he happens to be this decorated, skilled Navy SEAL, badass sniper guy whose plan for revenge just unfolds thereafter. Episode by episode, it gets deeper. More people get it onto his list the A.K. terminal list and he starts wiping them out one by one he has help from two or three people that are you know tight in his life one of his best friends who was in the cia a couple other family friends who were also in the military candace Wu's character which plays a reporter that was initially you know doing a story about this but winds up uncovering things herself and witnessing someone actually try to kill james reese and then realizes, oh no, he's not crazy. He's, there is some crazy shit going on and they're trying to kill him and cover something up. And it's like the story of a lifetime for her. So she's incentivized in the same direction as him of getting to the truth. So it kind of works out as like a win-win for them there, at least at first, because she gets him some information and vice versa. And it's crazy. Like one of the first people that he gets revenge on that that's involved in, in this whole thing, i think it was that guy actually that that went to go kill him when he was in the hospital doing his mri once he tracks him down which he was like a medium level mexican cartel guy he like ambushes where he's at him the cia guy the uh, other um friend that was also in the military uh the character name is liz riley played by tyner rushing who did a great job as well she was a, a pilot in the military so she like would fly them around and shit the ambush where this cartel guy is and killing everybody that resisted and he gets to the guy just fucks him up then hangs him up with chains like by his hands they're like in this like warehouse kind of place and james Reese just slashes his stomach open with a knife pulls out his intestines and just starts strangling him with his fucking intestines I was like, that is so fucking badass. I've never seen that. (laughs) And it's just like dope, satisfying revenge stories like that all throughout as he catches up to each and every other person that was involved. And I'm definitely not going to ruin everything for you guys. So definitely still watch it. But I do want to share a couple of dope lines of dialogue that I liked. There's a point where James is speaking to Ben, his CIA buddy, Ben Edwards, played by Taylor Kitsch. And James Reese asks him, do you think I'm losing my mind? Because that's what a lot of people are telling him, like these headaches that he's getting. And he's like misremembering things. And he's like conflating facts of stuff that happened, which is actually going on. But there's also nefarious people trying to play up that angle for obvious reasons, right? Because they're trying to cover shit up. So from James Reese's perspective, it's like, fuck, I am mixing up details because even certain things... That I'm like flashbacking on, I know objectively are like two different dates of things that happen with my wife and and daughter, but I also know motherfuckers are trying to kill me. So hard to know who to trust here. Um, But anyway, he asks, Ben, do you think I'm losing my mind? And Ben responds to him and I love this line. He goes, no, but I think you got your deck shuffled really good. I just love that analogy. I hadn't heard that before. And it made me think from a writing perspective of other ways to write that exact same thing. Like a famous one you always hear is that you got your bell rung. You got your bell rung really good. But I never heard you got your deck shuffled really good. So that's like definitely one of those lines that, at least for me, gets your uh, creative juices flowing, if you will. I thought this next line was dope on a couple levels. There's a scene where the FBI agent asks, Reese while they're in the jungle and they're trying to track him cuz he's now being tracked by law enforcement FBI because uh you know local police military etc because they think that he went crazy and he you know killed his own family at first like he was a suspect and they cleared him from, from that but they do know that he's going around trying to kill people that were involved and while he's hiding out in the woods and shit they almost catch up to him and one of the FBI agents asks him i think it was it may have been tony Leyun, played by jd pardo who did great who he was like a head detective but had some military background as well so he was like working in conjunction with the fbi if i remember correctly and he said something to the effect of what will your dad say now about what you did in san francisco and in san francisco it was like you know one of the other guys that james reese caught up with and murked um and reese responded he would say it would be a mistake to push a man to violence if violence is what he's dedicated his life to perfecting that was such a dope line in and of itself and also in response to that like heart-to-heart moment that the fbi agent was trying to have with him you know mentioning his father trying to make him reflect on his actions and then james reese just responds with this like doubling down on His mindset of, motherfucker, nobody's getting in the way of what I'm doing. Do not understand that I have zero to live for. That was crazy. And then just two more lines that I want to share with you guys that, by the way, are not any better or worse than any of the other lines or dialogue within the series. They're just, for whatever reason, lines that resonated with me in the moment. And I jot them down to share with you fine folks. So, Secretary Hartley, Secretary of State Hartley. Played by Gene Triplehorn, is speaking to Katie Burenek, played by Constance Wu, the reporter. After Katie put out a. She sent an, an editor of a paper that she worked with or sold stories to and sent him an email with, you know, a full investigative journalism article on James Reese really being innocent and that this whole cover-up of the experimental drug goes beyond the pharmaceutical company that stood to make a couple billion. It included high-ranking officers within the military that gave the green light, including Secretary of Defense, Lorraine Hartley, et cetera, et cetera. And she's she's in the library, putting the final touches on this article, calls the guy that she's gonna send it to, the editor, character named jordan groff played by arturo castro and you know they speak on the phone and he's like yeah send it to me and you know it'll be up well within an hour if it is what you say it is and an hour passes it's still not up she calls him back and she's like Yo, are you fucking with me are you not gonna post the story and he was like what are you talking about i'm still waiting for you to send it to me she's like what and she goes into her sent mailbox and it like disappears and then secretary hartley walks in to this desolate library where Katie's character is, and Sarek Hardly Hartley walks in with, you know, a couple of Secret Service guys, one showing that very big government flex of, we're monitoring and can intercept and block any of your shit whenever we want, <laughs> but she tells her something that stuck with me. She, you know, Katie is standing up on her credentials and fact that she did honest investigative journaling and reporting, uh, journalism rather and reporting and cipher Hartley tells her, I'm not denying that you have the right facts, but you're drawing the wrong conclusions, which is really interesting. Right. And just made me think in a moment, like, yeah, that's technically true. And I think that happens more often than we realize when different folks see or read the same things, but draw from it very different interpretations. And obviously as we'll see as the story progresses that was secretary hartley you know her you know spin on things and way of trying to control shit. but it was definitely a powerful line then fast forward to another interaction that katie has with secretary hartley where she invites katie to go to her place ask her all the questions she wants she'll be completely honest with her and if after her getting to say her side of the story katie still wants to move forward with her the story as it was, so be it, or you know, at least include Hartley's response to the story. And that's her attempt, obviously, as you know, being a political character, trying to spin and you know, say face and shit. But Katie has this back and forth interaction with her, this dialogue with her where she's circling back to some of the things that she mentioned and reconfirming timelines and pretty much catches Secretary Harley in a lie and gets her to crack. In another very satisfying scene. Satisfying in a different way from like that vengeance, revenge satisfaction, but still extremely satisfying nonetheless. And that's all I'm gonna tell you guys about The Terminal List, because I definitely want you guys to check it out. I don't wanna spoil it all for you, because it is a dope series. And once again, hats off to Jack Carr for turning this seed of a story idea into a novel that turned into a soon-to-be six-book series, book six titled Only the Dead. will be out in the spring of 2023 next year. And then having the universe reward him with Chris Pratt, who he originally envisioned as the protagonist in the story as he's writing it in his book. Read the book, love it, and option it before it even comes out, and then pull Jack Carr into the development process of this Amazon series, the Terminal List, which I'm sure will open up even more doors for him. So congrats again to Jack Carr. And that is my little recap and review on the terminal list. Streaming now on Amazon. Check it out. Ari Shafir is a Jew. I mean, Ari Shafir has a stand-up comedy special titled Jew. And Yes, he also happens to be a Jew. He also happens to be one of my favorite stand up comedians. And for me, Ari's like not one of those huge comedy names that everybody knows. He's like, you know how I've heard people describe this how when you have a favorite band that's like still underground, nobody really knows about, and then they blow up, and you're like, I used to be into them before it was cool. That's how I feel about Ari Shafir. He is the first guest on the first episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, my favorite podcast, that ultimately ultimately led me to not only want to express myself within this medium, but have the balls to do so as well. But he was the first guest on the first episode of JRE that I ever listened to. And I've told that story before on here, I'm sure. And I described it as being like the perfect guest at the perfect time to get me instantly into it. And you know, since then I've become uh, a fan of, of his, been to a couple of his live shows of course listen to Skeptic Tank that's Ari's podcast it's always a treat when he's on Rogan or or when he's on any of the other shows that I listen to I loved all the this is not happening episodes the show that he created before Comedy Central fucked them out of it and he's actually putting out another travel related podcast where he you know will speak to his guests on you know specific places that, that they've been to And his interview style actually in Skeptic Tank is something that that I definitely draw from when I've had folks on this show where I like to take a deep dive on a specific topic that has to do with that person. And that's something that that I got from Ari. But yeah, his latest stand-up comedy special is available on YouTube for anybody to watch. I will link to it in the episode notes and highly recommend it. And it's a really interesting concept for a special because the entire episode is dedicated to Judaism and about Judaism and religions in general to a lesser extent, but mainly Judaism, hence the title Jew. And Ari, in case you guys didn't know, grew up Orthodox, I believe is the correct terminology. And went to Yeshiva, went to Jerusalem for a couple of years to, to for college to study to be a rabbi before ultimately you know, losing his religion and becoming a stand-up comic. <laughs> Seems like a, a bit of a left turn there, but thankfully he made it. And if I'm not mistaken, the concept for this special was born in Edinburgh, in England, where I believe it's in, in England, which is this yearly comedy festival that goes on. And while out there for this festival and taking in the English style of standup comedy. Already noted, noticed that there's always a theme for the shows that comics um, put on out there. You know, the theme could be you know about family. It could be all about your father. Or it could be related to politics. It could, but it's always like on one singular theme, which is different than standup comedy here in the states, where it's usually you know set up punchline, set up punchline. You know, you might have some storytelling and some longer bits, but not necessarily one overarching theme across the entire thing so he kind of wanted to marry the idea of those two worlds because he kind of liked that theme idea but wanted to make it more stand the punchline, stand the punchline more funny essentially than the pseudo comedy ted talk stuff that was and i believe still is going on over there in england and thus the jew hour was born and this was pre-pandemic i remember hearing rumblings of it but because of the pandemic it was never shot or recorded and i feel like i i think i've heard already say that maybe he wasn't even going to do it anymore but ultimately he decided against it and thankfully like the, the material is not contemporary right it's not like current events dependent so it's not like the jokes are stale or anything like that and i thought it was fucking great definitely his best special to date but yeah it was a really cool concept for a stand-up special and Ari is very knowledgeable of the subject matter, obviously being Jewish and just having the perspective of both sides, you know, being within deeply within the religion and then leaving it and seeing it from the outside, looking in fun fact. Well, not fun, but his father was actually a Holocaust survivor. And I remember Ari having him on Skeptic Tank very early on and Ari's so good at what he does that he's even able to bring levity to that. You know what, I, what else I liked? The stage design, which was all candles, like actual white lit candles of all shapes and sizes, just littered all throughout the stage, which was very apropos to the, like the subject matter. It gave it like a religious-y kind of vibe. And I thought it set the tone really well. He definitely says some edgy shit, which you could always count on Ari for. And in one of his bits, he was speaking about how Like some folks thought that COVID was like punishment from God, kind of like the the floods back in the day and stuff like that. And he was like, COVID is nothing compared to like the floods back in the day when God like drowned the vast majority of all the people on earth and (laughs) killed them all. He he was like, that would be like COVID to the 9-11th power (laughs) and just using 9-11 there (laughs) was genius. Um, He's telling the story of Noah. And, you know, the building of the ark and saving some people and animals when the floods were coming. And he segued from a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he painted the people from Sodom, the townspeople of, you know, committing sodomy and just people that were butt fucking all the time. And Noah coming down to warn them about the floods that are coming and stuff like that. And he was getting ready to save his wife and kids and all the animals and telling them to come with him. And how they like shunned Noah because he's a pussy fucker <laughs> and didn't just have ass sex like the people of, of the townspeople of Sodom did, and then Noah just walked away w- wondering why? Why do you guys hate me so much? Why do you always treat me this way? And then one of the townspeople of Sodom just yells at yells out at him and says, "Cause your dick smells like pussy, you fucking faggot." <laughs> that's wrong on so many levels. That's wrong. <laughs> And so ironic and brilliantly written at the same time. My only regret around this special is that I did not go to the filming of it. And he filmed it in Brooklyn, here in New York. And I remember looking it up, looking up the tickets. I could have gone. It wasn't a distance thing, obviously. It wasn't a money thing. It wasn't much of a scheduling issue, if any at all. I just, it was just something I wound up not going to. And I fucking regretted it instantly. And I hate when I do that. I actually did that with something else. Completely unrelated this weekend. Something that I wanted to go to that I wound up not going to. Just because. And then of course, regret it right after. Sometimes you just gotta do the thing, man. Go to the thing. Watch the thing. Listen to the thing. Take advantage of those moments and opportunities when they arise. But I will tell you something that I do not regret. Which is watching this comedy special. Ari Shafir's Jew is available now on YouTube. I will link to it in the episode notes for you fine folks to watch and join the millions that have already streamed it. Ari Shafir's Jew. Check it out. UFC 281 took place at MSG, the Mecca, Madison Square Garden in November 2022. Some folks are already calling it the card of the year. Definitely had some great fights. I think it tied for most first round finishes, with like seven of the fights that took place ending in the first round. But it was a great card. Definitely had some exciting fights. Let's start off with Dan Hooker versus Claudio, the Peruvian Prince Boyes. In round one, Boyas did this like sick Imanari roll, I believe it's called, into a leg lock. And Dan Hooker was like immediately in danger. I guess that's like Boyce's like main thing. He's like a leg lock specialist. And Dan Hooker was like really in danger of being submitted, it seemed like, but was able to somehow roll out of it eventually after going back and forth for a while. But Boyez definitely showed how dangerous he was there. Then in round two, Boyes kept trying for the same thing. He would reach for the single leg, try to take Hooker down, try to do those imanari rolls and roll into a another leg lock situation but hooker was able to sprawl or just you know, stop takedown attempt after takedown attempt and ultimately hooker ko tko's Boyes after like kneeing him to the body and then following up with like a second knee and Boyez just like couldn't get up and then hooker won by tko in the second next up we had frankie the answer edgar in his last and final mma fight versus chris gutierrez Frankie's an absolute legend, pioneer of the sport, first ballot Hall of Famer, East Coast cat from Jersey, always comes out to Biggie, Biggie. kicking the door, to uh. be precise. I've never heard of any anybody, even his opponents, even other fighters, haven't heard of anyone who's ever had a bad word to say about Frankie or like didn't like him. He's definitely going to be missed, but had an absolute amazing career. He's retiring at 41 years old. He started in February of 2007. He's the former lightweight champion. He has the second most significant strikes in UFC history of any weight class with 1,799. He has the fourth most takedowns in UFC history with 73. And I believe he has the most, with this last fight, he had the most time, most fighting time of any other UFC fighter with something like eight or nine hours worth of fighting. So yeah, definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. Let me get a round of, round of fucking applause for Frankie the Answer Edgar. And to know in this fight was Gutierrez is striking. He looked so clean and precise and was just like completely on point. It's like everything he threw, not only was it landing, but it was landing exactly where he intended to land it. And Frankie with this typical moving forward style, wound up getting caught by a flying knee from Gutierrez and got KO'd in the first round, which fucking sucked. It's like to see, in terms of, you know, such a legend going out like that, but it's also a testament to, again, Frankie being 41 years old, last fight of his career, going up against a, I think he Gutierrez is 30 or 31 years old, somebody, you know, 10 years his junior, and just how much the sport evolves over time and how much better and better and better these martial artists get at what they do. But Frankie is absolutely and definitely a GOAT. Shout out again to Frankie Edgar. I'm sure he'll have a bright future in and around the sport. Then we had Fight of the Night, Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier. Chandler came out aggressive, like he always does, throwing bombs, haymakers. Poirier was poised, as he always is. I feel like fighters always take that approach of Poirier, and it seems not to go well for them. <laughs> you know, like Connor had that approach, Chandler had that approach, but Poirier really does have a like a poise about him, and just like steady and consistently got his shots in as well. Then Chandler swarmed and hurt Dustin, and then wound up taking him down. With like this big suplex chandler has great wrestling and he was definitely winning this is the first round you know just because of the swarming even though dustin you know was getting his shots in chandler was swarming him and then wound up like suplexing him to the ground so it seemed like the momentum was definitely in chandler's favor but then dustin you know slow and steady wins the race got some strikes in wound up knocking down chandler in this complete flipping momentum and almost got chandler the fuck out of there in the first round it was like teeing off at the end and chandler literally got saved by the bell then round two chandler starts off with uh another big takedown and he is a bloody fucking mess to quote dave chappelle yuck but it was like a straight ground control ground and pound control round for chandler then in round three dustin winds up on top once they're again like wrestling back and forth on the ground, and And like post fight press conferences, I heard uh, Dustin say that like Chandler cheated. He put his like fingers in his mouth, and tried to like yank Dustin by his head. And also he, which I with that, which I definitely saw in the fight, he like blew his nose and like just blood and snot and everything just fell all over Poirier, which is fucking gross, because his nose and face was like such a bloody mess. Uh, But Chandler was like, "Yo, I couldn't fucking breathe. I had to, you know, it was either don't breathe or do that, so I could clear my nose." (laughs) So <laughs> can't blame him too much for that, right? But it was fucking gross. And then the, like his hand in Poirier's mouth. He said that was like completely accidental, but Poirier seems to think it was, it was purposeful. Anyway, so they're wrestling back and forth on the ground. Poirier winds up slipping out from a Chandler takedown and winds up on top of Chandler, gets his back, and then makes him tap with a rear naked choke. But it was a wild fight. It was such a good fight. Then we have defending champion Carla Esparza versus Zhang Wei Li. And they are fighting for the strawweight championship. Wei Li was definitely the superior striker. And got some kicks in early on. Wound up pulling down Carla. But Carla simultaneously like grabbed Wei Li's neck. And had her in like this weird half rear naked choke thing going on. And they went back and forth. Uh, in round one in terms of ground control I would say then in round two the striking advantage was even more prevalent on Wei Li's side Carla wound up taking Wei Li down but kept winding up in the same half rear naked choke kind of position that it was kind of like a crucifix and Wei Li was able to capitalize on that caught Carla Esparza's back and made her tap to again a rear naked choke and she is the new strawweight champion. And unless Thug Rose Yunus comes back, she'll probably be a champ for, for a while. And even if Rose comes back, to be honest. Although i never count out Rose. There definitely would be a tough fight. And then our main event of the evening of UFC 281 was Israel Adesanya versus Alex Bereda. Alex Bereda is the only guy to have ever knocked out Israel Adesanya back when Izzy was a kickboxer, strictly kickboxing. He actually fought twice in kickboxing, and but most notably in a fight where Izzy was knocked out, Izzy was dominating uh, Pareda for the fight and winds up getting knocked out. Pareda has sin, joined the UFC. He's had something like four, maybe five fights in, in the UFC, and they gave him a title shot, obviously building up this grudge match between them. Izzy being probably like the highest-selling fighter and pay-per-view draw that the UFC has right now. So, round one starts off pretty heavy leg kicks from both sides, especially by Pereira, which seemed to be a, a smart strategy in trying to, you know, slow down Izzy's movement. But they exchanged leg kicks, and towards the end of round one, it seems like it's going to be a wrap. Izzy winds up catching Pereira, caught him with the right and a left hook combo, and Pereira started doing the stinky leg. <laughs> and Literally got saved by the bell. I was like, fuck. Obviously, I was rooting for Izzy in case you hadn't noticed. Then this guy, Pereira, recovers like fucking Michael Myers. And in round two, comes out like nothing. He catches Izzy with a few clean left hands and a nice knee. And Izzy seems hurt. her he winds up like clinching with him. Where Alex Pereira then wound up getting a bunch of knees and like body blows in that clinch. Then he also got a head kick and a takedown. So, round two was like clearly Alex Pereira's, in my opinion. And round one was, was Izzy's. Then in round three, Izzy takes down Pereira and just completely dominates him, ground and pounds. He has a sick wrist control, keeping Pereira down on the ground, controls him the entire round. Then stands up towards the end of the round and does a sick heel kick to Pereira's face while Pereira's on the floor and then punches him and just like 100% dominates the third round. So, it's two rounds to one. Going into the fourth. It's a slower pace round on both sides, I'd say. Both had a few, you know, a few connections. Nothing major, n- majorly noticeable. But Ada seemed to be slowing down. But he did hurt Izzy, it looked like, towards the end of that fourth round. But most in terms of, like, commentary and stuff like that, and even, you know, post-fight say that going into the fifth round, it was three rounds to one in favor of the champ, Israel Adesanya. Then in the fifth round, Izzy checked the kick and seemed to hurt himself by doing so. And they're exchanging, going back and forth throughout the fifth round. And then with about two minutes left, Pereira catches Izzy with a left jab, a straight right, an uppercut, a left hook, and just fucking started teeing off. And referee Mike Goddard stopped it and Pereira won a TKO victory. I definitely like to see Izzy was uh, gracious in defeat and definitely wants to get back in there. You know, he's not shying away from from a rematch. You know, this guy technically has beat him three times already. You know, only once in the UFC. The other two times were kickboxing only, but it definitely felt like Izzy was winning the fight. If it would've went to decision, he would've definitely won and he wound up getting caught. But again, he wants to get back in there. He said he'll keep getting back in there until he beats this guy. He was like, he'll go to his favelas in, in Brazil and knock on his door when they're fucking 60 or 70 years old and be like, yo, come on, let's go. <laughs> and he'll just keep coming back until until he gets it right. So hats off to Izzy. And that is my little recap and review of UFC 281. Podcast beefs. I think i might have to start making this a fucking recurring segment. Unfortunately, can we all just get along podcasters? My Expert Opinion is a hip-hop-based podcast that I really, really enjoy. Created by Math Hoffa of Battle Rap fame. And Math, I've been a fan of throughout his Battle Rap career. And when he started this podcast, I thought it was really interesting. And I feel like he took the concept of The Shop, LeBron and um, Maverick Carter Show on HBO, and perfected it. Although I like that show as well, uh, The Shop, this, you know, being truer to podcast form is more authentic, less curated, less polished, etc. And I'm actually assuming that my expert opinion came out after The Shop because it could have been the other way around for all I know, but it's definitely a dope show. And Math has had legendary interviews, I've heard great stories that I've never heard before, and he's had folks from... Within the battle rap scene, which I'm into, obviously, but also more in industry folks. And I'll just spot out a few names like he's had Fat Joe, Royce the 5'9", Derek Rose, the basketball player. He had Bimmy on, Young Guru, Onyx, Mike Geronimo, DJ Drama, Mano, my guy Mero of the Bodega Boys, and on and on and on. It's a really good show. You guys should check it out. Joe Budden's been on a bunch or a couple of times rather. And what I don't like is that it's starting to, it's a little reminiscent of like some of the drama that we've seen recently with Joe Budden and Rory and all, which I've spoken about in the past. And I remember even earlier on in earlier iteration of the show, Math had Misfit was part of the show. She's also a battle rapper. And this dude whose name I forget But he left the show first and there was some like back and forth, some sort of static. I forget the exact details of between him and Math. Then Misfit left earlier this year. I never found like the actual details of that but they parted ways. Then Math brought in Mecca who's a writer and used to interview a lot of people for uh, Source Magazine, I believe, and other outlets, which is a great... He's dope on the show. I really, really like Mecca's uh, perspective on the show and he's like such a good fit and balance. And then Math also brought in Esso and Heineken, which I didn't love at first, but then I grew to start to like a little bit more in terms of how they all like gelled together within like the interviews and shit and like their perspectives. But Esso, Heineken and Ghost, which was like the guy behind the camera and editor of the show, all had a falling out and parted ways. Esso and Heineken, which were apparently like a, a package deal to the show, started doing a show on their own. I think it's the the Bag Fuel show that they're on, or maybe it's an, another one as well. But I've definitely seen them on Bag Fuel, which is a good pod as well. And allegedly, we're funneling guests away from Math's show to that show. And according to Math, when you know they were booking people, they would say that you know Math was already booked up, but they could go do. You know their other show. They also brought some like fake revolt deal, allegedly to math uh, for the my expert opinion show, worth uh, something like two point seven million or something like that, and put math in touch with these quote unquote executives at revolt, which really didn't work for revolt. Some like weird shady shit like that went on, and then space ghost, the guy behind the camera, and again editor of the shows, is apparently holding all of math's recording equipment like cameras and audio equipment hostage until math pays them money that he allegedly owes him now according to S1 Heineken they are also owed money by math they weren't paid for some of the shows towards the end and that's largely from what I can gather their claim on the situation they also said which I didn't which I would say is more of a negative on math's side of the argument That they did have contracts with Math Under my expert opinion But that they signed and Math never did And never returned them the like Fully executed version of the contract And that's definitely not a good look I don't know, my, my take when it comes to Business dealings is Everything and anything Spelled out From Jump Before any money is involved If you want to do a percentage based Flat fee, whatever the fuck it is You and me are doing X, Y, and Z I get x percentage you get x percentage whether that the pie that we're getting percentages from is ten dollars or a billion dollars i don't give a fuck. these are the these are the percentages that's it we never have to speak my money again ever that's like my take on the situation on any situation when it comes to to dealings with money and, and partnerships and shit like that and i guess the argument to that a argument to that could be you know but what if a situation evolves and we're getting money from this But then, you know, a TV deal type situation comes through the door. And what if I bring a guest versus you bring a guest? Then those all become other situations to whatever it was that we agreed to. And those things get, those details get ironed out, written down, signed, agreed upon, fully executed prior to them coming into the picture. And if like the timeline for whatever reason doesn't happen fast enough, and by the timeline i mean like us coming to an agreement on paper in writing with fiduciary like third parties involved if that process can't happen fast enough for us to get that guest or whatever it is that is bringing whatever situation it is that's bringing money to the table then we lose that money and that's on us for not being efficient enough to figure our own shit out fast enough to get that money and that's separate from the money that we're already getting so it's not prioritized in my mind. I don't know. That's the way I feel that I would treat those types of situations. But then again, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking, right? hindsight is 2020 and I'm I haven't been in that type of situation. Most of all my creative business type endeavors solo. But that is absolutely my mind mindset prior to approaching future opportunities. And it does seem like Math show, my expert opinion, is doing big numbers and outlets, you know, bigger outlets are noticing and seems like circling around to like make offers to like put a show either on revolt or maybe like a title situation or perhaps some like some other network, podcasting network that can be an angle to this whole thing, too. And I have heard that angle. I've heard that rumored that math got some sort of offer from Spotify or one of these bigger outlets. And part of that offer included cutting some people off the show. Obviously, nobody knows that for sure, except for math. And it's all speculation to this point. And something else that math mentioned on a recent episode with uh, Joe Budden on as a guest on My Expert Opinion was that part of his plan was to have these guys to start their own show under the My Expert Opinion umbrella, you know, similar to... Joe Budden's uh, claim to fame when it came to Rory and all, and that SO and Heineken apparently weren't on the same page as far as that's concerned but who knows yo I hate when I, I just say when money gets involved in something and ruins a good thing because from my perspective it, it just always seems preventable if you just set terms from jump that can't change and live with the decisions of those terms Whether you would get a little bit more, a little bit less, if things were structured a little bit differently, it's irrelevant. But that's just my non-expert opinion. See what I did there? And just speculating on other folks' situation. Wishing each and every one of them well and continued success in whichever way they choose to define it. And that's the latest podcast beef. Recap of the my expert opinion situation to date. And that, folks, was episode 221 of the Spun Today podcast. I appreciate the fuck out of each and every one of you for listening. I really, really do. Once again, want to wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. Don't forget to be present and enjoy yours. And definitely, definitely do not forget to make turkey and cheese sandwiches with that leftover turkey. Stick around just a bit longer to hear about my Amazon link, which will lead you to some great deals and a few other ways you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways that you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt, also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out, spuntoday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing you can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies, if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel, titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spuntoday on Twitter, at Spuntoday on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search "Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spunt Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address. And you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Sponsor Day podcast financially, you can do so by going to sponsoray.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, sponsoray.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page, and if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Grayson. I love you, Daddy.